All right. Welcome back. Providence POV. It's Joe and Peter here with you Thursday, February 8th. You'll be listening to this on Friday the 9th. We have a fun episode tonight. We're coming off of Providence's overtime thrilling victory over Creighton. Uh, Back-to-back years now in which the Friars beat Creighton on pinkout night in overtime at home. Uh, a really emotional game, uh, a banner game for Josh Oduro and Devin Carter. More on them in a little bit. But Peter, happy Victory Thursday. How you doing today? Doing good because it's Victory Thursday. Uh, no, they needed that. And yeah, Joe, you and I talked about on the the episode earlier this week how this was kind of like a gut check time. Like what team? What team do you want to be has to show up or not show up, I guess, on Wednesday night against Creighton. And the team that hopefully we want to be down the stretch showed up, especially offensively Wednesday night. And like you said, back-to-back pinkout games against Creighton with victories, back-to-back games that went into OT. Obviously, last year's game went to double OT. Uh, I guess playing Creighton on a pinkout game gives you three extra five minute periods of basketball in the last two years. So why not? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, this is the way, you know, these two teams have kind of matched up the past two seasons where Creighton wins at home and then gives Providence a game on the, on at Providence. Um, Creighton's a really good team and, you know, they are ranked 19th in the country for a reason that is a tournament team. They are very well coached uh, regardless of how much Baylor Shireman or Steven Ashworth bitch to the refs. Uh, they are a very well coached, a very disciplined team. Um, and you know, Providence did what they needed to do. Ideally, you never want to give up 87 points at home, but when you're playing a team like Creighton, sometimes that is inevitable just so long as you score more points than them, uh, you get the desired outcome. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bury the lead here, uh, Josh Oduro and Devin Carter were absolutely fantastic last night. Oduro dropped 32 points on 50% shooting from the field, 12 rebounds over the two-time reigning Big East Defensive Player of the Year. That's Ryan Kalkbrenner. He's tall, that's all. Um, And to go with him, to go with Oduro... It was Devin Carter, 28 points, 11 rebounds, 10 for 19 from the floor. And, you know, that game was highlighted by his monstrous, I I don't even know what it was, probably 40-foot three-pointer from the face of the Friar logo to force overtime. I mean, (laughs) sweet Christ, what a game from Devin Carter. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Let's not let's not bury the lead because those two guys are the lead. Uh, talked about nationally, kind of last night uh, throughout the college basketball social media. But as fire fans, Joe, I think we got to cherish. We got to cherish Josh Duro, of course. Mm-hmm. We got to cherish every game that Devin Carter plays in this uniform and at home because he won't be on this team next year for for his benefit because he'll be a first round pick. He'll be in the NBA. Yeah, he'll be in the NBA. I think he'll be a first-round pick. He won't be back next year, which is unfortunate for the Friars, but it's it's good for him. And obviously, we have to cherish uh, his performances. But man, like 
you said that three. I have no idea how far that was. It felt like it was 50 yards far, 50 feet yards. Like that shot down three with 28 seconds left takes a lot of guts, right? Mm -hmm. He misses that. Say Creighton rebounds. We foul. We go down five. We end up losing, right? You and I hit record tonight. And what are we talking about? We are talking about Devin Carter had a great game. He was good on both sides of the ball. Josh Adora was great. But that shot was terrible. That's what you talk about. And that's how a lot of basketball, a lot of sports work, right? Like, you take the risk. If it works, we praise you. If it doesn't, we criticize you. So we're praising him tonight. Was that a smart shot? No. Did it go in? Well. I would play devil's advocate there okay. because Devin Carter has hit some insane shots this season. Um, now, granted, to, I'll give you credit. At that point in the game when there's so much on the line, yeah. is it smart to take a 40-foot three-pointer? I don't know. Um, but I can't. I, I mean, I was astounded that it went in. I can't say yeah. I was shocked just based on the body of work I was put in the past 12 games. Fair enough. I'm just playing the game. Like, you know how, like, if he misses oh, no, that, you, you and I talk about it. Social media talks about it. And look, it went in. Yeah. If it, if it went in, it, no, it did go in. Not if. It went in. So it doesn't even matter. But it's, it's, a, it's a moot point there. But, well, Devin Carter had a clutch three that's not talked about in overtime. Uh, down two to go up one. That was a massive three uh, for the Friars, which not as massive as the one to send it to OT, but almost as massive because he gave you the lead in OT, which helped lead to victory. Uh, he was great. He's battling something. You can tell. He also mm-hmm. made it funny on his hip, his side of his body, um, at a doctor, and obviously it's not professional sports, so they're very kind of closed with their injury reports unless it's like a season-ending injury. They don't tell you a lot, which and I get it. It's all, it all happens in all college sports. So there's nothing really to touch on that. It's just it, he clearly is dealing with something, and that's probably the extent we're going to know. Yep. Uh, so he has that, but he's playing through it. He was great last night, flirted with the triple-double, obviously a couple handful of assists short. But then Josh Adore, right? Like, Joe, I tweeted like a little bit recap on my personal tweet uh, Twitter account, and I used the video of his layup down two uh, towards the end of OT. And that was a ball. That was also a ballsy move, right? Because that was early in the shot clock, right? And you're up two. So at that point, you kind of want to wait, like potentially waste some time, right? Get the shot clock down, limit the possession that Creighton could potentially have. And Josh Aduro, instead of doing that, that was with like 55 seconds left in OT, where you probably want to drain that shot clock, right? He goes right at Kalkbrenner and finishes strong at the rim and goes up four. Like, that is a risky play because if you do end up missing it, it the possession started with 59 seconds, right? But if you do end up missing that, Joe, then that's another thing you criticize because you gave the ball to Creighton back too soon. But Josh Adaro trusts himself, and he went right into Paul Carter, and he had a great game as well. Yeah, I want to break this down a little bit. Um, The play you're talking about, too, it's – it plays into a bigger theme that we've seen, you know, out of Josh Oduro, specifically this game and specifically against Connecticut. And that's Oduro has significantly improved against 
the seven footers, right? Oduro had a great game, <clears throat> excuse me, in the limited minutes that he played against Donovan Klingen uh, down in stores against Yukon. Mm-hmm. And last night, Oduro had a great game against Kalkbrenner. Now, with Klingen, it was a little bit more finesse um, than anything because keep in mind, Klingen is tall and thick. But with Kalkbrenner, you know, Oduro was out physicaling him. And this has been my biggest critique of Kalkbrenner dating back to his freshman season, uh, 2020, 2021. And it's that he's very tall and he's a great shot blocker, but he is very thin and he's not physical. And, you know, Creighton fans might get upset at hearing that, but it's the truth because once someone starts playing physical with Kalkbrenner, you know, he kind of caves. Now that doesn't take away his ability to swat and block shots, which is what, height and length get you. But in terms of physicality, Josh Oduro stole his lunch money. I mean, and that's to your point, Peter, what got him that layup on that, that final play there is, you know, Kalkbrenner was just simply out, out toughed by Josh. Um, And I think it needs to be said here that the addition of Anton Bonk, to this Providence roster, although he's not eligible to play in games yet, has you know shown to have had an effect on the way that Oduro plays against the seven footers. Because ever since he joined the roster and started practicing with the team, Oduro has severely improved against the bigs. Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but that's that's obviously that's helpful in practice when you can go up against a guy that is the similar height to a Klingon or to a call runner. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with you, right? I think Adoro has had success against this is a, it's, a, it's a weird thing to think about, but he's had success against the taller guys. Guys he has struggled against are the guys that are similar height to him, but that can also be physical with him, right? Because he has played well against Klingon. I know he's thick, but he's still Klingon's based off his length. Like you said, Kalkbrenner's based off his length. When Adoro could want, like you say, be physical, but he's also very patient. That is something that I think is kind of overlooked when when you watch his offensive game. He's very patient with the ball. He doesn't force things. He waits, backs you down. He kind of plays like we've mentioned a couple times, old-school style basketball, Mm -hmm. and that works against the 7-2 guys because a lot of those guys are based off, obviously, shot blocking and their length. And if you can give them a pump fake, a little hezzy move, they go up in the air, you can go around them, or you can draw the foul, right? Like when you play against, for example, maybe an Eric Dixon or Soriano, I think Adoro has struggled a little bit because those guys are very similar to Adoro. They don't fully rely on their height. They they rely mostly on their build and their ability to be physical at the point of attack. So I think Adoro has seen that, has seen success against those taller maybe skinnier big man because of his one, you said his physicality, but his also ability to kind of tease them into jumping for a pump fake or a little bit of a spin move or just being patient and wearing them out in the post. Yeah. Yeah. All, uh, all uh, great points. Um, You know, I think Oduro is continuing to prove the national media wrong. Um, the field of sixty, the field of sixty-eight guys hate this, um, and they probably have been are just fed up with Providence fans at this point after the past couple of weeks. But uh, I think a lot of people slept on Josh Oduro. 
the narrative coming into the season was that, you know, he's a George Mason guy. He's a, a mid-major guy. He's going to suffer against the the likes of the Big East bigs. Um, and really, with the exception of, of a couple of off games, you know, at Creighton, at St. John's, Oduro has otherwise held his own um, yeah. and really improved and shown that similar to his predecessor in Ed Croswell, that, you know, he can ball and that you don't have to be seven feet, you know, 270 pounds to be a good big man in this conference. Um, so Josh Oduro, really solid performance last night. Uh, he is expecting his son to be born on February 14th, according to Kim English in the press conference last night. Um, so that's a week from yesterday. That's Valentine's day. Obviously we wish Josh the best. Um, hopefully the, that kid stays cooking a little bit longer so that we can have him play against St. John's on Tuesday night, but, uh, happy for Josh as a person, uh, for the, you know, the family accolades that he's about to achieve, but also happy for him as a basketball player, because, the game that he produced last night was, you know, one of the best from a Providence big in a very long time. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, look, you and I, I think we were very, we gave him praise in the beginning of the year, Josh Adaro. And then you and I talked about his struggles and also the scene hall game in the beginning of the Big East play. Right. And it took him a little while to get his kind of footing. And I expected big things out of Adaro, but I'm going to, Completely honest here, I did not expect these type of performances, uh, especially against a Creighton team and a Colt Briner. Like I didn't like if you told me he would have dropped, he would drop what he did last night, thirty-two and twelve. I would have called you crazy in the beginning of the year. Uh, but this team's had to rely a lot more on Josh Adoro than I think maybe Kim English expected potentially. And look, he was a main focal point of the offense going into the year. He was probably he was the third option. Now he's had to slide into a second option, but not just a second option. An op the first two options on this team get a lot of volume, take a lot of shots, and they relied a lot on to score the basketball. Uh, and so so far throughout the season, it's been a little bit up and down at times, but for the most part, Josh Adoro has, I guess, met and then exceeded expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, moving on here. You know, we talked about Oduro, the the other big name last night, and it's kind of funny because Devin Carter's performance was more um, explosive and had more uh, pizzazz than <laughs> Oduro's. I, I had to dig deep to find that word. Um, but, you know, Carter is going to make the headlines here because of, you know, his ability to score and make, you know, these highlight reel plays. Um, but the irony is, you know, Oduro outscored him and, and you know, out-rebounded him. But Devin Carter still had an impressive, fantastic game last night. 28 points, 4 steals, 6 assists, 11 rebounds, 10 for 19 shooting, and 5 for 8 from beyond the 3-point arc. Again, highlighted, uh, you know, bolded, underlined by his 40-foot, three-pointer from the Providence logo uh, at midcourt to force overtime. De all of this, mind you, while he's playing through, you know, a hip uh, glute injury um, in the postgame presser, he said that he suffered the injury when he fell weird at UConn. It was bothering him 
Sunday night at Villanova. And then he re-triggered the injury again last night when he fell. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the clips, Peter, but, you know, walking off the court after mm-hmm. the game, he was like seriously, seriously limping. Um, but he played through it, put up a- another all-American level night. Uh, and when asked about, you know, playing through the injury in the press conference, Devin Carter just said, mindset, mindset, mindset. That was his answer. And I thought that was uh, freaking awesome. He, he is, if he doesn't win Biggie's player of the year, I don't know who they're going to give it to. I can answer that if they're not going to get it, probably be Tristan Newton. Uh, no, but I get what you were saying with that. No, but I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I agree. I think it should be Devin Carter. Obviously, Tristan Newton. Uh, has been great for UConn. He has a little bit more help, I agree, but you also have, well, I'll play devil's advocate as well here, you also have the fact that UConn is number one in the conference and number one in the country, right? Like in potential, probably going to be a one seed. So he has that kind of going with him where Province is at the moment a bubble team. So yep, uh, that shouldn't, that's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a team award. It's a individual award, but that is always, mm-hmm. I, I think, taken into account. Uh, Kind of similar to when Dunn and Arch kind of shared um, Big East Player of the Year awards. Arch, obviously, a higher seed with Nova. Province still, obviously, an NCAA tournament team with Chris Dunn. Kind of similar to that, in my opinion. That's what it kind of reminds me of. But I I digress. We'll, we'll talk about that when, that when that time comes. We got a lot of basketball still left. But, no, like you said, Devin Carter was terrific. We mentioned an injury. I mentioned an injury. I think it's going to take a lot more for him not to play. Well, he... When he got taken out and when he sat down, he was put back in, or he put himself back in because yeah. I don't know if Kim was really like, eh, maybe take a minute or two. I don't think Devin Carter heard a single word he said and just went right back to the scores table. He yep. wanted to check back in. So you can see the toughness on him. He also knows not to be, not to be like, say like every, we always need him, but he knows how important he is to this team and the offense. And he took some Gutsy shots, like the three-pointer from the logo. Uh, he made some great layups. He was great defensively. That pass behind the back to save it from going out of bounds that led to the Corey Floyd layup. That was incredible. One of his highlight plays, the three down the stretch in overtime was massive. I thought Devin Carter was great, only turned the ball over two times. So he wasn't – we've seen at times Devin Carter – Gets a little bit out of control. I did not think we really saw that. Uh, maybe on that fast break layup, but I thought he got fouled. Uh, but besides that, like I thought Devin Carter was he was terrific, right? Like in you, I like you said, he's going to get the the hype, right? Because he's yeah. a legit NBA prospect. Uh Josh Adora might not be just because of his size and how he plays. Uh, but I like like yeah, you're right, Josh Adora outscored him, but a lot is riding on Devin Carter and Josh Adoro, which is a great thing at times because they're both great players, but it also gets a little bit scary at times. And we have seen it if they have an off game, Villanova on Sunday night, uh, then it gets a little dicey because yeah, you, you struggle. I'm not look, I'm not trying to put a damper in anybody's mood, but I don't have like I don't have to be the first person to tell you. Like everyone knows, like how reliant we are on these two guys on the offensive side of the ball. And it puts a ton of pressure on them. But for the most part, they seem like they're up for, for that pressure and, and they want the ball, especially Devin Carter uh, in the clutch. Yeah. I'll keep coming back to this. When Bryce Hopkins went down, 
uh, Kim English told the media that Devin Carter texted him the next morning after the official ACL uh, torn ACL diagnosis was given that, <clears throat> excuse me, he was willing to take uh, a higher role, uh, you know, on the team. So, uh, you know, I'm going to keep coming back to that uh, throughout the season here because, you know, he's lived up to his word. Um, and to the point you mentioned a minute ago, Peter, about, you know, Carter and Oduro being the main two guys, John Rothstein tweeted last night something to the tune, and I don't have it in front of me, of, you know, nobody works harder than Devin Carter. He is single-handedly dragging Providence to the NCAA tournament. Um, I thought it was a good tweet, but uh, part of me, because, you know, I don't really love John Rothstein. I think he just follows the headlines. Part of me thinks that it was a little tone deaf because he's talking about Devin Carter's big game, but completely neglected the fact that Joshua Duro had 32 and 12 mm-hmm. on the quote unquote best defender in the Big East. So, as much as Carter is dragging the team, so is Oduro. So, that, that's just to supplement your point there, Peter, that the two of them have really put the team on their back. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, you know uh, I'm going to pause myself there. We won last night because of them, but that's not to say that the other guys on the team didn't play a very important role. Yeah. There's three guys in particular that I'd like to call out, and that's Jaden Pierre, Corey Floyd Jr., and Ticket Games, because the three of them combined for 27 points, which was very well needed. Pierre and Corey Floyd got their shots going. I thought they made timely baskets. Corey Floyd hit two threes, which was very well needed. Mm-hmm. He was I texted you. He was making big boy plays, getting rebounds, yeah. diving for loose balls, continuing to do the little things that make the difference. And ticket gains didn't shoot a ton from the field, only took four shots, but he still had seven points, five rebounds, and he hit a big three in overtime. Uh, the three of them, Pierre Gaines, Floyd, super important to last night's win. I don't want them to get lost. Um, behind Oduro and Carter's monstrous night. But without the three of those guys, you know, things could have gone differently. Yeah. How about Jaden Pierre's layup in overtime? That reverse uh, finger roll kind of layup, uh, which was huge. Yeah. Look, I agree. I think those guys were key factors to last night's. Corey Floyd Jr. is, I think, a fascinating player. And he's also very frustrating at times. Four for 13 last night, missed a couple threes early, hit a couple threes late, right? He does everything else really well mm-hmm. outside of being like a, a legit ball handler. Great defender. He's always diving on the deck. He's a good rebounder. He's physical. He has that kind of nice uh, body frame to be physical at the guard position. He just is not a, a score that can kind of get his own shot off the dribble. Uh which is a bit frustrating because he's a superhuman athlete and mm-hmm. he's super athletic. So that tends to be a bit frustrating, but he does everything else right. Uh, he was physical. He's an energy kind of guy. He would be, he's great if he's like not, like, I know he didn't start, but he's he's great if he's not playing like 35 minutes a game. You know what I mean? Like he's well, he, great. He played 37 minutes yes. last night. And he'd be great. He's great like in a 15 to 20 minute roll off the bench. It's just obviously this team just doesn't have. That the roster at the moment to do that. Uh, but I agree. Look, you said ticket gains. I thought ticket gains did a pretty good job rebounding last night. Only took four shots. Didn't really he forced one three early. Didn't yeah. really force anything else. Uh had that, like you said, huge 
three, and the camera was so zoomed in because that one dude was standing up. Oh God, the, the Fox Sports Two broadcast. Well, I, I'm gonna I'll get, I'll cut Fox Sports Two some slack on that. Uh, I think that was more because the guy was just standing right in front of the camera, but I have no idea why that's a thing. They had to zoom in, and you could barely see if Ticket Games was a three or not until the ball went on the. I know until but, three went up in the scoreboard. Um, wait until S- Dave Sims said it was Ticket Games. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. So he, had, but that was a huge three. Jaden Pierre in that layup was terrific. Mm-hmm. When Jaden Pierre attacks and gets a little bit aggressive, he's a good player. I just think at times he doesn't get aggressive enough. <laughs> well, it's, it's frustrating at times. Uh, and I do think one thing to go be a Debbie Downer here, uh, I thought Pierre did struggle a little bit defensively. He kind of got caught on a couple pump fakes. He kind of got turned around. So did Ticket on a couple screens. But that is the Creighton offense and how good that system is for those shooters. Yeah, I was going to say that that's the Creighton effect there. Yes, um, I agree. Yes. I mean, it's no secret um, that as a sophomore, Pierre has struggled defensively. Um, you know, his minutes have obviously gone up this year compared to last year when he was playing behind Jared Bynum. But uh, nevertheless, you know, uh, defensively at times, Pierre has been a liability. But, you know, last night, that that's the way that Creighton operates with the pump fakes to try and get your guys off of you. Um, so, uh, you know, that's kind of to be expected. That's a, a learning for him. Um but, you know, we've been saying this for most of the season now is that when Pierre lets the game come to him, he plays really well. And I thought that's what we saw last night, uh, you know, and to what you said about Corey Floyd, he does all the little things, right? Uh, he might not be dropping 25 a game, but he does the little things. He makes the gritty, tough effort plays that, you know, will help a team win. And I thought last night was the the embodiment of that. Um, all in all, uh, from a bird's eye view, I think um, what Kim promised at the end of that Villanova game in the press conference was that they were going to rein it in. Uh, the freedom of shot selection was going to be dialed back and they were going to run more set plays. Uh, the result, 46% shooting from the field, 34 for 73, and 42% shooting from deep, 11 for 26. Uh, you know, yeah. The, the stats, the results speak for themselves. Uh, you know, it, what Kim said in the presser was that they had a couple of great days of practice and that Devin, uh, specifically Devin Carter, took a lot uh, of ownership over, you know, the way that the team had played and that, uh, you know, he found it within himself to be, you know, a leader on this team to try and get them back to the level that they like to play at. Um and then Kim said this, to whom much is given, much is expected. Uh, so, you know, Devin Carter, you know, final sentence on this game is doing it all for everybody, is doing it all for this team. Um, and, you know, last night was was the result. Yeah, you mentioned, now, final thing about the set plays, right? Mm-hmm. And how Kim English said after the Villanova game that the freedom was going to be taken back, right? Like it was going to be um, a little bit retracted outside of Devin Carter taking a, a three from the the logo. Besides that, uh, it was taken back a little. But talking about set plays, talking about getting guys open, the perfect the perfect team or a team that does it great is a team we played against in Creighton, right? Like they have guys that can go make their own shots and Trey Alexander and Shireman, right? But they rely so much on that system and 
those picks and they can they can get into their sets so fast. It's kind of it's frustrating to watch when you're rooting against them. But if you just sit back and watch it, they're terrific at getting into their sets and getting guys open. Providence kind of figured they don't do the same. We don't do the same exact system as them. I know that, but they kind of got into that a little bit more, uh, like you alluded to, like Kim alluded to, against Creighton. They ran more sets, and I think mm-hmm. this is the team that should. Like this team is not. This roster is not good enough for them to have too much freedom, in my opinion. Right? I don't think we have enough scores and guys that can, can create their own shots to just have endless freedom. And I think Kim finally probably picked up on that a little more. He probably picked up on that a couple weeks ago. But then the Villanova game was probably that last straw of like, okay, we have to figure out something offensively because whatever we're doing right now is clearly not working. And, look, you're right, it, 46% from the field, 11 for 26 from three, which is 42.3% from three, which is an amazing mark in general. And then for this team, obviously Creighton shot 48% from three because why the hell not? And we scored 91 points. Obviously, 13 of the uh, 91 were in overtime. Still over 75-plus points for the Friars. So, mm-hmm. offensive game we're going to get every time. I don't know. But it, it it gives me confidence that this team has this offensive ability in, in their system. They don't need to score 78 points, though, every game. They really don't. They just can't score 50. Yeah, it, it's promising that – after the team lays a big egg against a, you know a mediocre Villanova team, who by the way I don't know if you saw the end of that Villanova Xavier game last night. I did. That's I don't just, know what that was. I, don't I mean, was. we I, have had we've had some excruciating losses this season and over the years, but my God, to end the game passing the ball around the perimeter when you're down three with a chance to tie, for uh, for Christ's sake, excuse me, but like that's awful i can't believe we lost to that team we didn't just lose dude we got our, we got both right. but anyway <laughs> we didn't just lose no we they, lose by two. We, they kicked our we, asses yeah we got boat raced by scoring 50 points you're right um we almost doubled our scoring last night against Grant. well right that was the, that's the point i was gonna make thank you um <laughs> for getting me back on track there but um after you know putting up 50 points in a, a really shitty game against Villanova. Kim promises changes. You come back and you drop 91 at home over Creighton in an overtime victory over what should be a, a tournament lock in the Creighton Blue Jays. I think that is a huge step in the right direction. It is promising. Like you said, Peter, will the offense do this every single night? Chances are no, but the way that they responded, the way that this team responded to a two-game skid last week is very promising and inspiring. The win puts Providence squarely on the bubble in terms of the NCAA tournament. Uh, we were kind of slipping off of the bubble at the end of last week. In terms of conference standings, Providence is tied for sixth. UConn still holds... Uh, the buzzsaw position at the top of the conference. Marquette is in second. Seton Hall owns ownership entirely of third place. Creighton fourth, Xavier fifth. Uh, Providence Butler St. John's tied for sixth in terms of tiebreakers. St. John's technically a sixth. Providence seven, Butler eight. Villanova ninth. Uh, Ed Cooley's really good Georgetown Hoyas are in 10th. 
and DePaul sits alone next to a bag of shit at the bottom of the conference at 0 12. Is DePaul going to win a game in conference? Uh, it's over without us because we still play them again. If DePaul is going to win a game, it's going to be at home. Like they're going to have to win at home. I don't know what the rest of their home schedule looks like. I still think they have Georgetown to. At home? Yeah, I was going to say they they Georgetown escaped on a DePaul missed three. So my guess is that DePaul is going to play them tight in Chicago. Let's see. Let's see. They end with, before we get back to the Butler game, when we stop talking with the Paul, they end with home against UConn at Providence at Marquette. They host Georgetown. Then they go at X, host Butler, the Johnnies, and then at, you know, it's probably Georgetown at home or I guess Butler or the Johnnies at home. I don't think they're going on the road and beating. They're not beating UConn at home. They're not, I don't think they go on the road to play at Providence, at Marquette, at X, and at Seton Hall. Like, I don't think they win any of those games. So it, well, it would have to be either Georgetown, Bowen, and the Johnnies at home. Well, here's the problem with DePaul, right? Is They're not good. Well, they suck, but they've become even more lifeless since firing Tony Stubblefield. And I get it. Like, the athletic department. What's that? They probably should have waited to fire. Right. Like, they, yeah. I, I understand. He gives them a little bit of energy. It's not his fault they can't make a shot. They, they, I understand, you know, they needed to make a change, but doing it mid season, right? Like now there's no consistency. Not only professional sports, right? Like not only does DePaul still suck, but now there's no consistency at the coaching spot. Like, and there's that clip at the end of the Seton Hall game when Seton Hall was boat racing them in Chicago, where, after the free throw, uh, Deshaun Nelson takes the ball and just chucks it out of bounds. Like that was a rebound, a live ball rebound. Like also, sorry to cut you off, but like it's the transfer port- the transfer portal error, right? You don't you're telling me these kids aren't like halfway out the door? Right. Like, like oh, what's his name? I forgot his first name, but Terry. Is it Dalen Terry? Jalen Terry. Jalen Terry. Like he's good. He, he can play. Like he'll go play somewhere. Yeah. Um, if he has eligibility, I think. Like these and Nelson's a good player. Like these guys have, they have eligibility. They're halfway out the door, man. Like it's, it's, it's not professional sports where you can fire a coach mid year and be like, okay, we're good because these are professional athletes. It's college basketball. It doesn't work like that, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we'll get through DePaul. All right, yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening to DePaul POV. Um, yeah. No, just kidding. Uh, all right. Up next, Providence has a rematch with Butler this upcoming Saturday. Providence stole the first one away from Butler at home, 85-75 in overtime. A very special thanks to Ticket Gaines, who hit a monstrous buzzer beating. Well, it's not really buzzer beating. There was two seconds left, but uh, late game, late shot clock three to tie the game. Uh, Then Devin Carter uh, goes off in overtime. Providence winds up stealing that one back from Butler at home, 85-75. Since then, you know, Butler has seriously improved. Uh, like I said, Providence and Butler both tied in sixth right now, uh, six and six in conference. And ironically enough, both teams are tied at 15 and eight overall. Uh, you know, something is going to give on Saturday and one of those teams will have the better record than the other. But this is a, a Butler team that's shown a, a significant amount of in-season improvements. Um and then I'll let you go in a second, Peter. What concerns me about this one is rebounding because this was a game that saw 
Josh Oduro and Bryce Hopkins record double doubles while Devin Carter chipped in with nine rebounds. Uh, Hopkins had 13, Oduro had 14, and yet we only out rebounded Butler 47 to 43. Uh, you know, that is not fantastic. And keep in mind now, 13 of those rebounds are evaporated without Hopkins. So I think, you know, this is going to be a physical game. It's going to be one on the backboard. Um, go ahead, Peter. What are your thoughts? Like this is a similar game to like Seton Hall, right? It's your physical kind of grinded out basketball. It's not mm. going to be, I don't think, Baller can score 100%. They scored a ton against Crane last Friday. Like I, but I don't think it's going to be similar to what we saw against Creighton. Like Baller coming in, right, winning four out of five, two of those wins against DePaul and Georgetown. But they've won against two out of the last three, Nova at Creighton, and then they lost to UConn by nine on, I think that was Tuesday night. And this, you know, like, the implications, you and I talked about this before we hit record, in conference and in the NCAA tournament, right? For a couple of reasons. One, in conference, right? We're both 6-6, six and six, right? If the Flyers can pull out a road win at Butler, they go, one, they have a better record now in conference than Butler. But then they also have, they have the, the tiebreaker. Yeah, they have both wins over them. So the Flyers have kind of two legs up at the moment after Saturday on Butler, which could, by the time we get to the end of the season, be massive. It also is two bubble teams, right? Butler on the bubble, they got after struggling in Big East play losses to the Johnnies, UConn, Seton Hall, and X out of the gate, um, as well as Providence. They got themselves with a nice little winning streak right back into the bubble, right on to the last four in, last four out, first four, whatever, right? Wherever you want to put them mm-hmm. in the middle of the brackets we see every day, they're right on the bubble with the fires, right? So you have that. You have two bubble teams going at each other. And if you can be 2-0 against a bubble team when it comes down to the tournament, that is massive. And then you also have the ability to get another quad one win. You have four right now. Uh, Fox Sports 2 messed up that graphic. Uh, yeah. It's Wisconsin, Marquette, Seton Hall, and then Creighton from Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. You can get to five quad one wins. And I'm just going to pull this up right here. For example, for example, let's see. Let's see. Arizona has five quad one wins, right? North yep. Carolina has five quad one wins. Kansas has five quad one wins. Illinois, one of the best teams in the Big Ten, has three quad one wins. Baylor, five quad one wins. You kind of get what I'm saying here? You get to five quad one wins. Look, I'm not saying you go from a bubble team to a three seed. I'm not doing that. But that is a huge resume booster. Right. I... I, I... I agree with you. Um, I'm looking at the net right now. Like if you take a team like Princeton that is six and zero in quad four, six and zero in quad three, two and three in quad two, but they have no quad one wins and no quad one losses. They're ranked 52 in the net. Providence is ranked 56 in the net and they're four and five in quad one, two and three in quad two and nine and zero in quad four. So, uh, Although Princeton's ranked higher, I think Providence should get, you know, an at-large bid over the, the Princeton well, how about, tight. How about Gonzaga? 16 and there's 26 in the net right now. 16 and 6 overall. They're 0 and 5 in quad one. Yeah, see, I that I, drives me nuts. Uh that drives me nuts too. I think you have to you have to go off of quad one. Quad it's not the only thing, but it should be a bigger factor. It should be the first part of your when you look at the resumes net. It should exactly. go from quad one, then quad two, then quad three, then quad four. Like that's 
and they all have different values. That's what how it should be. Right. Um, but anyway, back back to this game specifically. Um, agree with everything you said, Peter. This is, uh, you know, as it's going to be for a lot of, you know, our upcoming matchups, this is going to be a battle of the bubble. Um, two desperate teams that need this win. For Butler, uh, not only is it a tournament uh, resume building win, but it's a revenge win because they were down uh, by as many, I think, as 15 in the first half and chipped all the way back, took the lead at some points, um, and were leading with you know less than a possession on the clock left before the final buzzer. And you know, ticket gains essentially stole that back. So a revenge. Uh, game for Butler. I think if I'm Kim English and the Friars, uh, I, you know, am expecting or not expecting, but would like to see a big physical game out of Rich Barron. And the reason I say that is because obviously, you know, Carter and the backcourt can take care of, you know, DJ Davis, Jamil Telfort, uh, Pasha Alexander, and those guards. But the one player on this team that does, uh, you know, frighten me a little bit is Pierre Brooks. And he's technically listed as a guard, but he's 6'6", 240. Uh, that was Bryce Hopkins' defensive assignment when Providence played the Bulldogs. Uh, Brooks dropped 20-7 and seven in that game. Um, so I think, you know, you're going to need somebody that's a little bit uh, girthier than ticket gains. <laughs> to to guard their four man, so uh, this is where I think Rich Barron, who started last night, um, didn't see a ton of playing time, had four fouls. But this is where someone like Rich Barron is going to have a massive role. Yeah, I. This is a Josh Adoro game, Joe. Right? We talked about like Telfort was very good against Creighton. and DJ Davis for Butler, the point guard, was very good against Villanova in the second half, and then into OT. Pierre Brooks. Brooks is very good, right? Those are the three main scores. They're three main players. They struggle at the center position, and they rotate guys in and out at that center position. This is, once again, like every game, because he's Josh Adoro, but this is another Josh Adoro game, right? And they also Posh Alexander at the guard, right? I don't, I don't want to discredit. He's, he's in double figures on the year. But Jalen Thomas, Andre Screen, those guys don't scare me. This is a Josh Adoro game, right? Mm-hmm. Those guys are based off their height. They're based off their jumping ability. They're based off their athleticism. Josh Adoro has played very well against those type of guys. We saw it Wednesday night against Kalkbrenner, right? Like the Kalkbrenner is based off his height, based off his length, not his physicality. Josh Adoro has to do his thing again, kind of get into that old school nature, the style he plays. And I think this is, once again, like every game is going to be, but this is a game where Josh Adoro has to have 15 to 22 shots, right? This is feed him and feed him early and often. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think Oduro can win that matchup. Uh, I think defensively, you know, our backcourt has to be sound. I'm not worried about Devin Carter defensively. Uh, I think Corey Floyd Jr., if he comes off the bench, will also provide a nice defensive spark. I think really we're going to need Jaden Pierre to, you know, pick up his defensive chops a little bit. This is a very big game for him defensively. Um, And then just another, you know, storyline to watch going into this one. Uh, Peter, can you just double check me while I'm saying this, but Butler's only lost three home games this year. Um, 
And Hinkle Fieldhouse, similar to the Amica Mutual Pavilion, is a very tough place to play. And Butler lost there to then-ranked 19th FAU. Uh, they lost to fourth-ranked Connecticut at home and Seton Hall at home during a time in which Seton Hall was surging. Um, otherwise, Butler's really held home serve. Uh, they beat Texas Tech at home. Uh, who else did they beat at home? Oh, they won't, Joe. They've only lost two games at home. Two. At Fort home? Atlantic's a neutral site. Ah, uh, that's why. Okay. So, I was looking at the net, and they had they're nine and two at home, and I was like, and then I went back, and it's, there's an asterisk next to the Fort Atlantic game, and I just assumed that means. It's so Butler was te- probably the home game in that matchup. Okay. Um, yep. I'm looking at the ESPN thing, and I see versus versus. Yeah, yeah. I look at the same thing. Yeah, this will. Yeah, but right. yeah. That's but, it even proves your point even more. Right, but if right, if anything, that helps my point even more. Yeah, Butler exactly. does not lose in that building. Uh so far, the only two teams that own victories over Butler at Henkel are the Connecticut Huskies, who are the best team in the country, and at the time a very hot Seton Hall team. It's gonna take, you know, a team effort, uh, you know, this team's best shot to beat Butler at Henkel Fieldhouse. And these two teams match up pretty evenly, like we've said. Josh Oduro will need to play a major role here. The role players, you know, Barron, Floyd, mm-hmm. Pierre, Ticket are going to have to play a major role here. And our leader, Devin Carter, is going to have to keep doing what he's doing. I know that's a simplified approach, but, uh, you know, at this point in the season, that's re- that's really what it's going to take. Yeah, I'll, I'll say my final thoughts because I know we're going a little bit long, but... Why not? Well, it was a big win on Wednesday. No, a big win. We had to talk We about got it. a big game on Saturday. Like, it's equal. If you thought Wednesday night against Creighton was big, and it was, Saturday against Ab Butler is equally as big because quad one, bubble team versus bubble team, same record in conference on the road. You pick up a road win, resume builder. The list goes on of how important a win would be on Saturday. Uh, and it's just – you also, Joe, I feel like if you win on Wednesday – I win on Wednesday. If you lose, if you win on Saturday, you steal a game. It just have that yeah. like you steal a game because when you and I laid out the remaining schedule on earlier week episode, right? Like home games are important. Like you got to go win the home games because how outside of UConn, you got to win basically every home game if you want to take mm-hmm. care of business. Now it's St. John's, DePaul, and Villanova at home, and then UConn as well at the end of the season. But we'll throw them to the side at the moment. We're gonna just uh, win that one. Yes. You go into Butler, you go into Hinkle Fieldhouse on Saturday, you go 2-0 against this Butler team, and you steal a victory. The pressure, in my opinion, is probably a little bit more on Butler. Like Wednesday night, the pressure was a 1,000% on Providence. They played like a desperate team, and the desperate team won. Play like a desperate team again on Saturday. Yeah. Play like a team that is with their pants on fire, with their hair on fire. But it does feel like if you can get a victory on Saturday, you kind of steal a game. And with two home games coming up after that, uh, I 100% agree with you, Peter. Steal a win on the road here. I will leave you with this: the last time Providence beat a ranked team at the dunk, they came out the next game and won. That was at the beginning of the season when Providence beat sixth-ranked Marquette at the dunk. The next team they beat was Butler. Uh, so. Sure. Kim English, uh, you know, he's the type of coach where he's going to have his guys practice harder today and tomorrow 
than they did in preparation for Creighton because he wants them to be on edge. He wants them to be hungry. Um, you know, I haven't, you know, seen a complacent Providence team take the floor yet this season. I, you know, I'm knocking on wood here, but I highly doubt that a complacent team will take the floor on Saturday at Butler. I agree. All right. At 48 minutes, that's going to do it from us. Providence beats Creighton in overtime, 91-87, as mentioned, highlighted by Joshua Duro and Devin Carter's monstrous performances. They will take on Butler on the road Saturday. That game's at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Fox Sports 1. Thank God we are back to Fox Sports 1. Um, don't know who's on the call for that one yet, uh, but you'll hear from us the following Tuesday. Um, until then, you know, be sure to follow us on Twitter. Make sure you're tuned in to House Enterprise and all of the content that we produce. Check out house-enterprise.com for more. But as always, thank you for listening, and go Friars. Go Friars.